Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. Oh, boy. I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Jimmy Molina from Colombia, not South Carolina. It's spelled differently. Um, but I know two people from Colombia. One is a very famous uh, World Cup soccer player named Hugo Galeano, who was also in Charlotte, North Carolina, or was, he's back in Colombia. And Jimmy Molina got to introduce to him when he was at Movement Mortgage, I believe, Movement Bank. And so um, anyway, we'll get into Jimmy's story, but Jimmy, it's so good to have you on here with Ben and myself. Here is the question. You are fully rehabbed from your latest uh, running injury, and you're back at your favorite marathon, the Seattle Marathon, and it's not raining. It's one of those unusual days where it's not raining, it's beautiful, and it's sunny. You're walking to the starting line. You're going to be with all the jackrabbits in the front of the pack, and somebody says, hey, that's Jimmy Molina. I recognize that guy. And they start talking about you, but they don't realize that you can still hear them in the midst of the crowd. What are they saying about you? What would you want them to say about you? Well, first of all, Ben and Gary, thank you for having me. I feel fancy here being here in the podcast with you guys. But in that situation, fancy. <laughs> like, I would like the, the first of all to say, hey, like that, that guy brings a lot of good energy when we're around him, good, good vibes. Like we, every time we, we're around that guy, like we leave full of energy. He's, he's a guy that always try and bring his best and trying to help others. And a very selfless person. Oh, oh, that's how I would like them to, to kind of think about me. Well, that wouldn't be a lie because that's exactly how I think about you. That's been true of every interaction I've had with you, Jimmy. So Ben, take the listeners through a little bit more of his story. Yeah. Yeah. And con contagious energy is a, uh, a very good quality to have. So Jimmy's the co-owner of the local room, which is a gastropub restaurant in Locust, North Carolina. And he's a vice president and commercial lending officer at Community First Bank. So, Jimmy, before we get into uh, entrepreneurship and your career and, and things like that, I, I want to really go back um, and talk about your, your background prior to college, prior to being here in the United States. So can you paint us that picture and then we'll kind of go from there? Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in Colombia, like, like Gary said, yep. um, grew up uh, in the city. Um, my, my family did not have uh, much money growing up. Uh, I grew up with, with my grandmother, my mom, and three aunts. Uh, it, it was, uh, I mean, we, my, my grandmother and my mom always figured out how to provide everything I needed. Uh, I grew up always, like, it, school was always, like, a, a good uh, area for me to be at. Uh, it will help me to stay out of trouble growing up. Uh, but it was also something that I was never really passionate about. Uh, I really never care about um, school. I always was figured out other things to learn. Um, 
And of course, we'll get into the entrepreneurship, but it, it was, it's, it's, it's a very different culture and, and a, a bringing, like I was taking public transportation when I was 12 years old, uh, that, that you're taking buses and, and taxis and, and things like that, that like as, as I've been living here in the United States for the past 10 years, it's something completely different. Like I, everyone here seems like when they turn 16, they have a car. That's luxury back home. And so like growing up, um, say I grew up without, a, without my dad. I met my dad when I was 15 years old or 14, somewhere around that. So my mom had me when she was 16. So she's my biggest superhero, like rock star. Um, and I was always like with a ball. Like I always loved playing soccer or throwing things. Like I was, a, I guess the word is, a, I was a very hyperactive kid. Like we're always trying to figure out how to make me get tired. So I would just slow down. And so growing up in Colombia, it's very normal that most of the people play soccer. And here in the United States, you have all the different sports that you can pick. In Colombia, it's pretty much soccer. As I was growing up, like every break is literally who can run the fastest to get to the soccer fields because everyone was going like literally you will give the soccer ball to your the fastest kid in the in your classroom and say, hey, go and and, and get the soccer field. And as I was growing up, I actually got injured. I, I, I was playing ball in the middle. A guy hit my ankle and I broke it seven months in crutches. I was 11 years old. So I got quite a scare of playing soccer I was like this is painful I don't want an injury like this again mm-hmm. uh, and two, uh, godfathers they both uh, grew up playing tennis so I was like you know what I will try it I don't care like whatever it will be fun um, and I started playing and they were like hey man you're actually decent playing this um, and I was like let's try it in this nobody can hit me apart of course if you go to the net and they hit you with a tennis ball but that's your fault and I started playing tennis um, I remember like just doing whatever I could to try to like go and play. My my mom will take me every weekend. At, at first, it was every Friday and Saturday uh, to uh, Saturday and Sundays to play tennis. Um, and I was with that first coach for I think almost two years until one day I got two pairs and I broke a racket and I left and I say I never wanted to train with him again. And now <laughs> it's funny now. I, keep in touch with him. We talk all the time, but I was like 12 years old and you know how that goes. Uh, and then it was one of those things that I was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to like do something with this, I have to take it more serious. So my mom working her ass off to provide everything. She was like, well, you know what? I, I can make some efforts and see if we can figure out somewhere that you can play tennis like more than two days a week. So we found an academy. I started playing five days a week. Um, but it was one of those interesting, and I'm sure she's going to listen to this, and if she already does not know about it, like she used to give me, I mean, if you transfer that to dollars, like 50 cents uh, for me to buy some food, and like after practice and, and whatever. But sometimes... Like I did not have somebody to take me home. So I will have to take public transportation. So I had to decide if I was going to eat or take public transportation to go home. Mm. And it was one of those things that I was like, well, I can use 25 cents and get some food and then see a public transportation allow me to get in the bus through the back. So it was, it was always that hassle of like, 
I need some food, but I also need to get home. So how do I do that? That it goes with the problem solving or figure it out what to do. And, and as I kept growing up, getting better playing tennis, and it started like being the, the option of like, do I want to go and play tennis in the United States? Do I want to stay? What, what do I want to do? As we go back, it's, I never liked school. It's funny because now I have an undergrad and two masters. That, that's another funny story. Um, <laughs> and then as I was 15, it was kind of go to that point that it was like, well, we, we have to make a decision of like, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to pursue something else? Do, do you just want to keep it as a hobby? And that's when I said, you know what, let's go to the United States. Uh, so that, that was kind of the goal, but we didn't start putting things in place. And then I graduated high school when I was 16. So I clearly I was like, I don't want to go to college yet. I graduated 16 and then one month after that, I turned 17. And the plan originally was for me to be a year, just playing tennis, traveling, just doing my own thing. And after like five months, my mom was like, I think it's time to go to college. <laughs> like, we can't have you just hanging out and, and whatever. <laughs> Plus, when you're playing tennis, I was playing tennis from 9 to 11, doing fitness, 11 to 12, then playing tennis 2 to 4 and fitness 4 to 5. So I get home and I will eat the entire kitchen. <laughs> so it gets quite expensive. <laughs> so then it was like, well, it's time to, to, to go to college. So it was kind of the process of, okay, well, I guess so. Uh, so I ended up coming to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, well, actually, I thought it was Charlotte that I was coming to because that's where the graduate campus is for Pfeiffer University, but I ended up in the middle of nowhere in Meisenheimer, North Carolina. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer is uh, a very different world than Charlotte, North Carolina, even though it's only... Yeah, it was actually... So my coach picked me up at the airport. Here, I never met my coach. Like, we talked through the phone. Um, and, like, I literally told him, hey, I have a red T-shirt, so you know who I am at the airport. <laughs> and... Uh, he was picking me up and also a teammate from South Africa. So he picked us up. I couldn't understand my friend from South Africa. He's funny now. Like I actually saw him two months ago. We're very good friends, but he started talking to me. I did not have a clue what he was saying. That accent was extremely hard to figure it out. But the coach took us to the Wendy's there near the airport. And I saw all the big buildings of Charlotte. I was like, heck yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> well, then he started driving and driving and all I was able to see was a bunch of trees and churches. That's all you see on the way to Meisenheimer. And then I go there and that was, it was challenging at first to, to adapt to such a big change from coming to city that has 8 million people to Meisenheimer that I think has like 1500 people. Right. So I want to, I want to back up even before uh, we dive even more into Pfeiffer because there's a lot to unpack from, from your story, right. And from coming up. So tennis, not being the, the norm or the popular type sport, right. Soccer, obviously, like you said, is the one that dominates. Uh, how did you get into the process of, of even figuring out how to start getting recruited or getting looked at to be able to come to the United States to play tennis in college? So like I, 
I was I was lucky. Uh, like, of course, I had the talent, but I also I was lucky to be surrounded by the right people. Uh, I had like when when I started the process, I was training at, at an academy of Mauricio Dad. That at some point he was the coach of Maria Cherapova. So of course that opens me a lot of doors because he knew all type of people. So I was at the right academy. He already knew the process. They have helped other players before. Um, and he was kind of like, you know what? Like I don't lose anything. Uh, it was a, it was like I think it would be a great experience. Um, that I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I took it. Um, but it was just, I think I, I was surrounded, like, since at a young age, I always look up to older people all the time because, I mean, my mom is only 16 years older than me. So I always hang out with older people. So I got used to always like looking up and asking questions and, and see how older people were doing stuff. Um, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit. So forgive me, but another piece, because I've already taken like 10 lines worth of notes. So you're, uh, you're off to an interesting start, Jimmy. Um, but you talked about how school is fine. It was good for you, but you weren't passionate about it. And then like you alluded to, you went on, you got your undergrad, you got your MBA, you got your MS in leadership, I believe. So you went on to do a tremendous amount of school after what switched for you there from not being passionate, not enjoying school when you're younger to getting significantly more education than um, what you first originally came over to the United States for? So the undergrad I wanted, I actually, originally I wanted to go to school for economics, but I went to the first class of macroeconomics and I couldn't understand the professor. So I left that class and I changed my major to business management and leadership because I was like, there's no way I'm going to deal with this guy for four years. Mm -hmm. uh, but the undergrad, I finished my undergrad in three years. Uh, Pfeiffer actually has a program that is called a three-two, that you do three years of the, your undergrad and then in the other, so in five years, you graduate with an MBA. And I was redshirt my first year because my SAT was absolutely awful. Like, we don't even need to talk about it. <laughs> and so I finished the MBA and as I, well, when I finished the undergrad, I started working. Well, I was a, since my first semester in, in college, I started tutoring in Spanish. Uh, I came to United States, I was like, I need to make money. Like that was, so I went to the learning center at Pfeiffer and I was like, hey, I will tutor, I will do whatever. Like, I don't care. Just give me some hours, I will work. Because as an international, you can only work at your school at first. So they give you, I think you can work up to 20 hours. Um, so I was working at Pfeiffer, whatever. I was a tutor. Um, and then I started doing some, some free internships, trying to figure it out, trying to get like my feet wet out there, trying to meet people. Um, that, that was one of the things that I love the most about Pfeiffer. It's a small school. So I was able to interact with my professors a lot and they give me guidance and introducing me to people that help me with opportunities. Um, so as, as I kept like going to the staff, uh, the semester that I was finished my undergrad, I was like, well, I need to, I need a job. I need some experience. Like I did some online internships. Uh, I was helping with marketing of the business department. I was tutoring, um, but I was like, 
it's, I mean, I want to do something else. I want to do like some, some real life and also make money while I'm doing it because everything is cool, but I, I need bills to pay. And I end up, when I was in the MBA, a way to work outside is you take an internship class and you can work up to 20 hours. They actually, if I'm correct, they just changed. They just know a couple of years, they changed that. And now you can work 40 hours as an intern. And so I took an internship class in my MBA that allowed me to work. So I actually started with a company, Charlotte, called Charlotte Regional Partnerships. That, mm. if I'm correct, they merged with the Chamber of Commerce now or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I worked with them. And at the same time that I was working with them, I got a part-time a tailor position with a bank that was two minutes from the, um, from the uh, university. So I was doing no, those two jobs. Um, that it was great. It gave me completely total exposure. Uh, uh, the bank, I was talking with people like dealing with numbers that is a great fit for me. I love numbers and I love people. So definitely it was the right fit. A Charlotte Regional Partnership, I was exposed to a lot of like high net worth, very well connected people, but I hated my job. I was behind a computer doing research the entire day and I hated it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was good to have both exposure at the same time. Uh, so after three months, I left the Charlotte Region Partnership. I continued with the bank. Um, and as I go through the process, I was working. Um, the bank decided to sponsor me because in order to keep working legally, um, you need the bank to, or like whatever company, in this case for me it was the bank, to sponsor you uh, with a work visa, or it's also known as an H-1B. Um, it's a lottery. So... I definitely did not have any luck because I applied for the H-1B three times and I didn't get it. Um, so after I worked for a year under that internship, I did not get it. So, and I was finishing my MBA. So I was like, I literally received an email from my attorney saying, hey, unfortunately you were not picked under the H-1B. You have 30 days to change your status to a student, tourism, or leave the country. Wow. Yeah. So it was definitely very interesting. I did not know what to do. I called one of my best friends and went to a Mexican restaurant to have shots of tequila. Um, and then I took a week that I went to Asheville. I did some hiking. Some, I didn't know what to do. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to school. I will get another master's. And in this case was the master's of science in leadership. And I'll just take another internship class. Uh, and then the running joke was that I was the most expensive intern that you can hire. <laughs> um, so I, I did that again. I finished that master's uh, and I was still not legal. Uh, I applied a second time, I did not get it. So I actually, I started a third master's. Uh, I started a master's in health administration that proudly I did not finish it. And uh, once again, it helped me to take another internship class that allowed me to work. Uh, so uh, that, that is a long answer of why I did a lot more education than I would like to. But it, it helped. It served the purpose and it looks fine in a resume now. Yeah. Talk about the um, 
the bank sponsoring you. So the bank actually got that H-1B visa for you. Is that correct? So no, they try. <laughs> they, oh, they, they tried three times. Wow. That it was when I was working with First Bank. They they try and unfortunately. So how how that works is if you only have an undergrad, you have 60,000 possibilities of getting it. If you have a higher, like the next level, in this case, a master, you got 80,000. There's some exceptions if, if you're in uh, a professor or if you work with education in some sort and on other fields. But in my case, that was the first year that I applied, 218,000 people applied. The second was a 198,000 and the third one was 237,000, if I'm correct. Mm. So it's pretty much one, one in three persons getting one in four. How did you become a citizen then? Or, you know. So in, in my case, uh, I went the, the investor visa route that I was finally able to get to it. But I mean, and I'm still going through the process. Like right now I have a temporary residency. I'm about to, I'm in the process of applying for the permanent one. Um, but it's just, it's, it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder people that do not have the, the funds and do not have the contacts, how do they do it? Because I've been in the United States 10 years and I'm still going through it. So I want to summarize this. Um, trying to get that, that work visa, you need a company to sponsor you. But yeah. that doesn't get you the work visa. That just gets you into the lottery. So you had that at the bank for three years, tried every time, didn't get approved. So then started a second or did your second master's, master's in leadership, which got you another internship, which got you two more cracks at the lottery, which you yep. still didn't get it. So then you started a third master's in healthcare administration, right? That's what you said. Started your third master's healthcare administration. And that's when you finally got that work visa. You said you went the, the investor visa route. Um, yeah. So I literally halfway through it, I just drop it. I say, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, and just went the investor visa route. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that is uh, quite, quite the process just to stay in here and to be able to work because if we go back to even the start of all this, being being a student athlete is significant as far as a, a time restraint anyway. And then when you get to the scholarship level, but not the ultra high level of, of like the top tier division one, right? That low yeah. level division one or, or division two where you're scholarship, but you don't have the resources that the, the top um, conferences have you have even more restrictions from what you can and can't do for working, but you don't have the resources of the major conferences. And then in your scenario, you also tack on the additional restrictions of being an international student. So take us, take us into that mind frame a little bit. You show up in the United States, you think you're going to be in this big city. All of a sudden you're, there's, you're in a town where there's more cows than people and you're the student athlete and you have these additional international student restrictions. So take us through that mindset of those first few months, because that must have been quite the, the uh, mental hurdle to, uh, to get over. Well, it was, it was awful. Like, I mean, 
I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it was a combination of, I come from big city, 8 million to, as you say, there was more cars than people. Uh, I think the first three months I called my mom at least 400 times saying, I want to go back home. This is painful. I do not want to be here. But also adding into that is I was already fluent in English, but I was still like, you will talk to me in English. I will process. I will translate it. Yeah. I'll think what I want to say. I'll translate it and then I'll talk to you. So I will go at the end of the day to my room and I was exhausted because it was so much thinking the entire time. I'm processing through classes and everyone talking. And I was like, this is hard. And then it was towards almost my third month in United States that I woke up scared because I had a dream in English. Mm. And that's when everything clicked. That's when I did not have to go through all that long process, but it will just be automatically that I was, uh, that's the point that you can actually consider yourself fluent in another language. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then after like three months that that started clicking, I was like, you know what? I start like this a little more. Um, then I moved into, I had a roommate at first that I did not like one bit. So then after the month three, I was able to get into a room by myself. So like, kind of like everything started getting in place. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and like you add into that, that I came, I did not come to study. Like, yeah, that's, you come to, but I found out in that three months too that I was not going to be able to compete my first year because of how awful my SAT scores were. Yeah. Mm. So I was like, great. I came here to play tennis. I'm going to practice, but I don't get to compete or travel with the team or anything. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was challenging. But then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, and that's when I was able to figure, okay, well, I mean, I don't get to play my first year, but I still have the four years. And that's when my advisor came. I was like, well, if you want, you can go ahead and get the MBA and play your four years after this one. So end up working in my favor. I graduated without any student debt. So no many people get to say that. And I graduated with the undergrad and MBA and then the bank paid for my second master. So that was a good deal for me. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy, um, you embody you you embody this positive uh and it's infectiously positive attitude which i really love about you and you're scrappy you know like you know okay you graduate from high school at age 16 you come to a completely different country and while you're a little kid you're you know taking public transportation you're having to figure it out you know um but you've from the time I've known you, you've never been a victim. You've always been, you know, a driven guy that loves people, but you've got like big goals. Talk to us about how that mindset has helped you in and talk us through your first entrepreneurial endeavor. So it's like, as I said, growing up, like, even though, of course, like my like my grandma, my my granddad died when my mom was five. Wow. So my grandma raised my mom and my three aunts by herself. Uh, and she would work her ass off. My mom the same. Like my mom will, will wake up 7 a.m., go to work the entire day, 
finish, go to uh, finish her um, university, then get home, sleep, and keep it going. And my mom never complained. My grandma never complained. Was it hard? Yeah. So it was like that. That like gave me such a um, positivity of like it's, it's hard, but they're here and they don't complain and they keep it going. So that was that was kind of the 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 foundation for me of like yeah, it's not easy, but man, I mean, we we never had, like it was never like oh we can't have dinner tonight because there's no food. We always had a, a, a roof over us. We were healthy. We had food like we were fine. Like, so I think a lot of times uh, we forget those things. Uh, and for example, if we see the past two years with the pandemic and everything, um, it's literally, hey, if you wake up now, all your family members are still with you, you're healthy, like you're blessed. Like everything else is a plus. Uh, so I think that goes into my my energy, my my positivism that things could always be worse, uh, and and you have to be grateful for what you have in life. Um, and then going into the the my first entrepreneurship, I was actually and, and my grandma sent me a picture of it a couple a couple months ago. So when I was like seven eight years old, um, I used to draw Dragon Ball C. And I used yeah. to, to my family members for 70, 80 cents. Uh, and I will draw whatever and I will just go and sell it. Uh, I also, I used to get in a lot of trouble in the school because I will buy candies and then I will sell it in school or I will use straws and I will put um, jello powder in them and then I will close it and then I will sell them in the school. Uh, and they used to send notes to my mom all the time telling her he, he can't do that in the school. I was like, I mean, what is wrong with it? Like my mom always was my biggest supporter with my grandma of like, just do it. We don't care. <laughs> uh, or like I will come to United States and I'll buy those huge bags of like all type of chocolates and everything that were so cheap. And then I will take it to Colombia and I will make so much money out of it. <laughs> so that that was kind of my my first couple of things and then before I came to United States I was actually in in that period of 6 months that I was just playing tennis I remember I was researching all type of stuff I was like what can I start uh, I even looked into coming to United States and buying heavy equipment and then take it to Colombia and rent it to people there but I never ended up doing that uh, so I I I always had that I don't know, that desire of starting something. That's cool. So at age seven and eight, you were you're drawing Dragon Ball Z and selling your pictures to kids, right? Yep. <laughs> that and, and filling the straws with jello powder. <laughs> that is really good. Man, the margins on that one were beautiful. <laughs> So you had just alluded to a few different ideas. So obviously you had different avenues that you could go um, and pursue, but why, why the restaurant industry? What, what about that or the opportunity or whatever it was intrigued you? Uh, so it's funny though, because before I opened this restaurant, I have never worked one day in the restaurant industry, right? In the, in the hospitality industry. Um Actually, how, how the restaurant started was I started a real estate company back in 2018. And one of the acquisitions is where the restaurant is at now. 
So, um, or it, it used to be an old strip mall that originally me and, and, and my partner were looking at it and trying to say, what, what do we do with it? Like, it was kind of like, it's on city central, we can do whatever we want with it. But we really didn't know. Um, at one point we thought, hey, we can like bring six operators, bring be investors and have six different business running out of it. Um, but then the more that we look into the building, the more that we're like, no, this building needs to be turned down. So originally we wanted to just be landlords. Um, and we reached out to multiple breweries and nobody wanted to, to go there. They're like, nope, we don't have any desire. Uh, we don't feel like going. So we started meeting with the city and, and the city was like, hey, we need a restaurant. It's like, nope. That's not happening. I mean, I'm a lender. Like, I hate restaurants. Like, my credit department hates. Them. So, as a lender, and you come and you tell me, "Hey, open a restaurant," I was like, but then they pulled the economic data from 2018, and it showed that people was spending over 22 million dollars outside of 15 mile radius. So, when they pulled that, that those numbers, I was like, okay, now we're talking. Like, but me and my partner, my partner. Original was just me and his name is Matthew Harris. Original was just the two of us. He was a server for like seven years, but still not enough. We're like, if we're going to open something, we're going to go all out. We're not just going to open whatever just to say we opened something. But we knew we needed a third one with the experience required to open a place like this. And so that's when our third partner came into the picture uh, that he has been a restaurateur for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring him into the picture with all the experience. It took us like six to nine months to convince him. Same thing. When we first approached him, he was like, absolutely not. He was being a, a, a general manager at a steakhouse, like, you know, making good money. He already like have a pretty good setup. He has worked there to build there where he was for 10 years. And we're telling, hey, let's do this that, yeah, you're going to be an owner, but you're going to start from zero again. Um, here, here I am not having a clue what I was doing, though. Uh, I, have, I have always, uh, and I guess it helps that I'm young. I'm 27. So I'm like, you know what? I'm open to anything. Like, mm -hmm. as long as we can build a sense of community, we can help others, and along the way we're making money, I'm fine with it. And... So we start talking, he ended up saying early, yeah, early 2019, he said, you know what, I'm in. And we're like, okay, good. So, so we start working through it, looking into plans, looking of concept, how we were gonna do it. Uh, and then we start working on the financing in September, September, 2019. Uh, we went through the SBA route. That's for those that are listening and know about it. It's extremely painful, but for startups, helps tremendously. And we start construction. We turned down the building completely in December 2019. Uh, and we start working on it, of course, putting our money first. And then this thing called COVID-19 decided to hit in February 2020. What? During the middle and everything starts closing. Financing gets delayed. 
like we already put our money in it like what are we gonna do yeah um and we were like man i mean we're already in a uh, loan hasn't closed but eventually hopefully closed and it was three four months that well three we did not end up closing until end of may and it was it was a stressful but in, in our mind was like hey this can last more than six months of course <laughs> <laughs> and we we're like hey j- let's just push it and we end up opening october 27 of last year so yeah we're a couple of weeks away from our one year anniversary and i mean it was it was a very interesting journey uh, not gonna lie I, I was i remember calling my mom all the time and say mom what am i doing like is is, is is this the right thing like how i mean let's say i never had any experience and now that i'm in and 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 I'm involved in operations and uh, I've been able to, to, to learn and also meet some amazing people. Uh, like the, we were currently employing 62 people and it's just amazing to hear their stories, to, to hear their backgrounds, to like, we, we always talk about, hey, businesses like to create cultures and stuff. And I love reading and I read many books and everything, but actually put it into place and, and figure it out. and how to, to create a culture within the restaurant industry that for a lot of people is just like, whatever, like we just hire whatever people is changing. For us has been more of changing that mindset and, and showing people, hey, if you want, you can actually make a career out of this. Um, so I don't know, it has been, it has been fun. Uh, it's stressful at times, like every other business trying to figure out employees, but um, I do not regret it one bit. I'm actually glad I, I took the chance and, and my and the city convinced us to do it. So Jimmy, um, take the listeners through where the local room is in proximity to Charlotte, North Carolina, and describe what that city and area is like. So uh, I'm awful. I'm awful with the map. Hold on, let me pull it up. It's all right. I mean, so just to, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, not Center City in Charlotte. That's oh no, it's, though, it's right? thirty-five <laughs> minutes, depending where you are. It can be up to forty-five if you're in Lake Norman. Sorry, it's like fifty-five minutes, but I promise it's worth it. Um, <laughs> but I, I describe Locus to what Belmont used to be seven, eight years ago. Uh, it's an upcoming city that is kind of the last pocket of, of Charlotte right now that hasn't been fully developed with, with everything that is going on and, and people are starting to, to find out about it and move to that area because they figure out, hey, I get on 24, 27 for 35 minutes and I'm home. I mean, it's, it's not a bad drive at all. Um, and you get to listen to this beautiful podcast while you're driving there. So it works out well. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. But... Is 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 thirty five minutes beautiful? Is 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 the the country area? Um, is is a growing city? We were actually working right now. Uh, the beginning of the second quarter of the of next year, we're going to be open a brewery in that area as well. So we're we're kind of trying to to keep up with the growth of that area, and and bring like staff to that area because everyone keeps saying, hey, there's not enough staff and. 
there's definitely a lot of people that are moving there. Yeah. So you're just over a year into owning the local room. Well, actually having it be opened, right? Um, yeah. Obviously you were working on it prior. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned so far in this endeavor? Well, one of them be flexible. Like plans can change literally every single day. Um, also, like learning how to deal with such a diverse uh, amount of people uh, because like that has been one thing that for example going back to the last question of described look there's such a diverse population like just down to the bar you're left you have a older couple that is in their 70s you also have a young couple uh, in their 20s you, you have a the, the married couple so like all type and then of course you get your white your blue color so learning how to deal with all the different people and how you approach it. And that, that has been very, very hard, um, but rewarding. Uh, and in my case, because I'm used to dealing with business owners at the bank, but the way that you do with other people, the rest is completely different in uh, the way that you approach them and the way that you talk about things is, is a completely different. So that's another thing. Uh, also, is, is how to, to communicate with your partners. Uh, it's, it's a marriage. Uh, and it's one of those things that, that when things go rough, it has been very, very encouraging to see, in this case, the three of us, how to learn to communicate and see what are the strengths and weaknesses of each other and how to make each other better. And at the same time, how to uh, figure it out the, with your employees because they all learn different they all get motivation to different things so as a business owner is how do you identify that of each of your employees uh, and get them to be a team even though they're motivated by completely different things uh, i mean a, a perfect example is for example pre-meal and you have all your servers uh, and you're like hey whoever sells i don't know the most revise get like some people will say, hey, I would prefer if you give me money. Some of these, I want a free meal. Some of them say, I don't want to roll silverware. Uh, and it's three completely different things. So it's, it's kind of working the crowd that, that has been, it has been great to learn and, and, and think through things and be more analytical about the stuff that before I did not even have to think or even thought it was something that people had to deal with. Yeah, and you probably saw similar things in your sports and athletic experience, right? You get athletes that are motivated in different ways. You can get the kids that thrive when somebody's hard on them and the kids that thrive when a coach puts their arm around them. And you're taking that same mentality with, with what you're hitting on there of how you motivate and get the most out of people is a personalized process, right? It's not a one size fits all for every single person you have there. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Uh, and it, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, and it's great, like you said that. I mean, for example, in, in tennis, in Pfeiffer, I think we had like two Americans in the whole men's tennis team. It was all internationals. Uh, German, Sweden, uh, Venezuelan, Brazilian. Uh, we even have a kid from Namibia. Uh, and seeing 
all the different backgrounds, uh, all the different cultures. But at the end of the day, we all communicate with each other without any problem. That, that it was very cool to see that uh, at, at Pfeiffer. And then, of course, now as I transfer into like banking and being a business owner, it just, it's, it's really cool how all people can have different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings, and they all interact without any issue. You know, Jimmy, one thing that I want to hit on a little bit more, too, is the fact that it seems like you have done a very good job at layering all of your experiences upon one another and maximizing those things for where you are now. So, um, you know, you're still working as a banker, a commercial banker working with businesses, right? And now, and you get into real estate because you want to, you've got entrepreneurism, you know, kind of running through your veins anyway, <laughs> which is so cool. But it wasn't like, well, I, I've got to just completely shut off uh, corporate America or the banking world. And I just got to go do my thing, you know, where I think a lot of entrepreneurial people buy into that fallacy of, well, I got to quit working for the man and I just got to go do this. And they get hit with the Mack truck a lot of times like, whoa, you know what? This is hard, right? Talk about how you've been able to, you know, kind of bridge that gap. You're still working for a bank, but you're still pursuing your, your dreams and goals. You know, at some point you may go, hey, you know, now I've got an empire that I can't do both, but talk about how do you find balance and how do you find joy in both? So, well, the balance is hard. Uh, it's first year in business. A lot of restaurants do not even make it a year. So finding the balance right now is, is quite hard. Um, actually, the last couple of weeks, uh, the load at the restaurant has been a lot uh, lower than than before. Uh, the team is getting to place. We're empowering our our managers a lot more. Um, that they have helped us as as we're looking into the brewery, uh, looking into another local room, looking into a real estate company. Uh, but then at the same time, like as as we talk about joy and, and balances, I love Link. Uh, it, it's just. It sounds weird, but it's just, it's fun for me. It's like playing Sudoku. It's like, where, where do I need to put the things for the deal to make sense? And growing up, I always thought that to help people, you have to be a doctor or an attorney. And then I figured out that with lending, I can help a lot of businesses. By helping those businesses, let's say, give them a line of credit and they get to make payroll. That, that means that, I don't know, whatever amount of families that they employ get to take food to their to their families and, and, and things like that. So that's that's the joy for me on, on the lending side is I get to help people. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, oh, this uh, loan is 50,000, this loan is $2 million. It's, it's, it's not about that. I, um, I don't remember who said that, but it, it has always like stay with me. It's all about people at the end of the day. Um, and then in the restaurant is the same thing. Uh, you get to have a feedback so quick. You know really quick by somebody's faces if they like the food or not, or if they've been waiting too long. So getting the people to 
have the experience. Like the Wi-Fi at my restaurant sucks, but it's on purpose. Uh, we want people to go and interact with each other. We want people like when they go to have the experience. If they pick the restaurant to spend their money, spend their time, we better make a great experience out of it. Make make sure that they get to connect. Like I, I personally, I make a point every time I see like a couple on day night that they're talking instead of trying to get on Wi-Fi or being on their phone. I make a point to go and say, hey, guys, appreciate you guys talking with each other, like having a great experience. And then, of course, when when you get the, the feedback of like, man, this food was amazing. The, the service was unbelievable. It just gives you such a like pride, like, man, that's great. Thanks. Like and, and seeing like be like because of course they don't have a clue what goes behind the scenes and all the stress and screaming like hey i need another set of fries like hurry up and so it's, it's that that's cool and then from balance right now is there's no match uh, i'm not married i don't have kids so that helps me from from a balance perspective can i do that forever forever and ever nope eventually uh, i want a wife i want kids uh like I mean, that's, that's my goal. I love family. Yeah. But it's one of those things that you have to put your time in. Yeah. You have to work. You have to, to uh, figure out if, if you're going to build something, you have to put the time in. It's not like you're just going to wake up and everything is going to run smooth and you have created this empire and everything is good. So I want to build off of that because a word that seems to keep coming up on this podcast to, to describe our guests is purposeful. So even the idea of what you, you hit on there of you're empowering your manager's employees because you know that you're not going to be able to do that and you can't sustain what you're doing forever. So you're empowering the people in place to, to replicate yourself, right? And then saying that the Wi-Fi sucks, but saying it's on purpose. Like so much of what you're describing is purposeful and yet you're a... You're a younger entrepreneur, right? You said you're 27. You've, you've been doing this venture for just over a year and you've got the, the real estate business as well. So paint the picture a little bit for us of what are you mapping out for this entrepreneurship type journey for yourself? What, what are you planning for your future? Uh, so there's entrepreneurs that they want to build something gigantic uh, and work forever. To be honest, um, doesn't know me. Uh, yeah, I want to create more businesses. I'm, I will always be open for it. But my goal is eventually having the time for my family. Like I want to create businesses and empower people and, and eventually, of course, like teach this that, that we're learning along the way for people to not make the same mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's for me to have the comfort that when I have kids, when I have my wife, and they want to do something that I can do it. Um, we go back to, hey, my mom, unfortunately, couldn't do it because she was working all the time. So I want to be able to do it when I have a family. Uh, and in my entrepreneur journey, I may open more restaurants. Uh, I may grow the real estate side. I'm, I'm open. I'm learning. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, you always have to be looking for opportunities and, and ways that you can grow, that you can add value. Uh, because the, the, the moment that you're not adding value anymore, you, you have to, to rethink what you're doing. Um, and, and that's something as, as a lender as well. Uh, because like even though we think about, hey, corporate America, 
lender for me has been being an entrepreneur as well because you're building your own book of business. You're hustling there to keep growing, to find business, to find customers. Uh, so if, if it gets a point that you're like, hey, you know what? In this, I'm not adding value. It's time to rethink and, and uh, kind of like figure out what's next. What, what, where do I find uh, the passion? Where do I find happiness? Uh, if I'm going to spend a lot of time doing it, I better be happy while I'm doing it. Yeah. So you've got, you've got the mindset of flexibility based on opportunities instead of having this yeah. rigid mindset where you become tunnel vision. But then the piece of having the goal be to have your family or have time for your family, it's the business is serving you, not you serving the businesses. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things that is, is like, for example, I use the example of family again at first your mom serves you and as they're getting older and you're growing up, you end up serving your mom. That's, that's my same mentality for business. At first you serve your business as much as possible, but it gets a point that the business starts serving you. So what are some of the, your techniques or practices, things that you have in your life to keep, to keep making sure you're going in the right direction, right? You're giving yourself more autonomy. You're building towards this eventual goal. Obviously, like you said, you're not there. The balance isn't there yet, but you're working towards it. So what are some of those techniques or practices that you're, you're currently doing to make sure you're going the right direction? Uh, so I'm big into counseling. Uh, I personally, I go at least once a month. Uh, I go and I love my counselor and I sit down at least for an hour and I, kind of put everything out there, how I'm feeling, like kind of resetting myself, of making sure that I'm still passionate, that I'm still enjoying, that what I'm saying is just not a bunch of words, but I'm actually acting on it. Uh, so that's one big thing that, that I'm always... Second, like, um, for example, uh, from the restaurant perspective, I meet with my partners every Wednesday. Every Wednesday we meet for two hours and a half. And we talk through everything, numbers of the week, where we are, future plans, we, uh, how everything that we have talked is going. Uh, every, every week, we kind of have a set task that we have to get done and that we know that we keep like driving, like as, as we were talking about how to empower it. Also, the, the cool thing of having partners is, hey, last week, man, that, that you did re really is not empowering. You're not helping. You're not teaching. You're hurting them to keep growing and doing things. You have to let them fail. Um, use, use those things for learning. So it's good because we get to every Wednesday to check on each other, making sure that, that we're all on the same page, that we, that, hey, one point you're like, man, I'm burned out this week. Okay, well, that's fine, man. Take some time off. We will take care of the lack of that week. That's another thing. Another thing that I do, I love working out. Uh, so that helps me um, to that body, body, mind thing of making sure that I'm healthy, that I'm taking time for myself. Um, that, like, because if I if, if I have a lot more energy when I'm working out than when I'm not, I, I look drained. And then another big thing for me is at least once a quarter I try to take a week off to be with my family. Um, that. I think I'm a big believer that if you work, 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 and you don't get to enjoy it with the people that you love, then there's no purpose in doing it. You know, 
this is very interesting for me. Ben sold his first company at 24. You are 27. So you were 26 and you, you're probably 25. I don't know, 25, 26 when you had your first company. I did my first turnaround at 28, but I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was just brought in to fix a toxic waste dump and I didn't have any qualifications to do it. But I just think it's interesting. You and Ben in particular are wise beyond your years. And I don't say that in a patronizing way. It's just true. You have an energy, a drive, and it's not about building your own kingdom. It's you have purpose behind and both, both of you do, which is why, uh, you know, when I first met Ben a few years ago, I was like, man, I like that guy. Um, and you also said something I've worked with very wealthy, very, very wealthy entrepreneurs that were very old. And some of them are, you know, my age, but some of them were in their 80s and they're still doing things. But you said something that I heard consistently from every one of the most successful ones. And this is what you said. I was, I was lucky to be surrounded by the right people. Every one of them said that. And yet they're, you know, wicked smart, some educated, some not so, but there was a humility and understanding that they didn't build it on their own. They had other people around it. And I just hear the same thing, even with your partners. And one final little interesting observation that we talked about before we hit the record button today. So you love working out, all three of us do. But I think that you may love working out because Ben McDonald was your strength coach at Pfeiffer. <laughs> and, and we didn't realize that until we were talking prior to this uh, recording. So I, I think that's pretty funny. It's a small world. <laughs> it's a small world. It really is. Yeah, that was, that was a funny thing doing research for, for this episode. And, and realizing and making that connection of like, wow, I, I trained him when he was, what, 20, probably 20, 21 years old at the time? No, seven so, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> time flies. Yeah, it is. Something else. That's crazy, man. That is so cool. So, well, Jimmy, uh, you have been like, it's been really fun to get to know you, you reached out to me, I think initially, and you may have been with First Bank. I don't remember who you were with at the time. Were you with Movement Movement Bank? Yeah, I was with, I reached out to you. Uh, you were with Casey Crawford, and I was like, I want to meet this ah, guy. That was the deal. So that was the movement connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You were with Casey, and I was like, Yeah, I want to see who's Gary. Yeah, well, Casey Crawford. Now that's that's a stud. He's he's a great guy too, man. Amazing. Ben, you were going to say something. No, nope, I was just going to ask Jimmy. Uh, any any final thoughts? Anything else you want to leave the uh, the listeners with before we sign off here today? My main thing is always follow your gut. Uh, it's going to be scary. Uh, there's going to be many times, as I was saying before, you're going to question, what are, you, what am I doing? Uh, it's going to be exhausting. There's times that you, 
you're, you're going to be burned out, that you're going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. But always follow your gut. Uh, and as Gary said, surround yourself by good people. Uh, like honest people that you know that you can that you can reach out, that you can talk and, and judgment-free, that they, they, they're going to be there. That you can talk about anything. That, that has helped. That has been something that has helped me tremendously. I have a very small circle, but I know I can call them anytime and tell them whatever. And they, the, the cool thing is they're going to be honest about it. They're going to say, hey, Jimmy, you're being oblivious or like, man, that makes total sense. Uh, so surrounding yourself by the right people and, and, and having that people that you can ask things is huge. Um, and also get a great CPA, CPA and attorney. That may, will make your life a lot easier. Sound, sound advice. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. This is this has been a, a really fun episode. So I appreciate you sharing and being as authentic as you were. No, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. And where, where can people find you, Jimmy? What's the best place for them to find you? Uh, the best and place is Jimmy Molina on, on LinkedIn or uh, JD Molina 398 at Twitter. I, I really enjoy Twitter. I actually have been using a lot more than LinkedIn lately. What? Come on, man. <laughs> then I get less less people sending me messages selling me something at, at Twitter. Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, that's fair. Yeah. Like LinkedIn. I feel like someone sends me a message on LinkedIn, they want to sell something. So I hate it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you also do some stuff on Instagram? Yeah. So Instagram. Well, I don't do as much anymore because I do it for the locker room all the time. Yeah, you're doing a great job there. So if you're doing it for local room, what do they look for? Locker room locust on Instagram, uh, you will get hungry. Uh, We post post daily. Uh, It was hard at first, but now it's a habit. Um, And as I say, you get to hear this while you're driving from Charlotte to locust and get a great, great meal. Yeah, you, you are doing a really good job on those Instagram posts, man. Actually, you reached out to me off of Instagram for our friend Goodwin Custom Homes. Yep. See, it's, it's full circle. It's really amazing. You're a gift, Jimmy. And uh, no, I I'm appreciate so, you guys. The United States of America is lucky to have Jimmy Molina here, and especially North, Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, I say that Let's make sure I can stay legal. If I get deported, I'm just going to Madrid, Spain. That's my next <laughs> city that I'm moving to. No, we want to keep you here. <laughs> I'll do whatever I can do to help. Uh, All right. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Have a great day, okay? Thank you. You too.